Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in that text in the beginning of the sermon and a couple other places. Uh, this is not a usual sermon for us as uh, we, as many of you know, go through books of the Bible verse by verse about three-fourths of the year. Uh, so when we do a topical series like this one in a topical sermon, um, it is pretty important. Uh, there's a reason behind it, and we really believe that this topic Biblical hospitality is that important. In fact, here's my purpose and a prayer for this sermon series. My purpose and prayer for this is that God will use our church, your home, your apartment, your dorm room, your front yard, backyard, community gym, cabins, or wherever else you can gather and invite for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that's the point. That's hospitality. Building the church and living like the family of God and taking others in steps to see and therefore embrace. I need to be a part of that family. God wants me to be a part of that type a family. My prayer for this series is that you will not be afraid of strangers, even when some seem dangerous. My prayer is that you will treat others as Christ treated them, and that you will have fulfilling and countercultural fellowship and community with each other that attracts and appeals others. So, starting off with 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, God's word through the Apostle Peter to many churches then and to this church here now today says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has seized from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. These first couple passages, this first couple verses, shows us that we live differently than how we once lived as Christians, and all the ways described in verse 1 through 5. And it's in some of those same desires of the flesh that hinders us and prohibits us from living out biblical hospitality as a church. And even if you take out the certain sins in verse 3, like drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties, if you take those out, you see how the other three can, can take us away from being hospitable. The other ones are like, yeah, of course. But living in sensuality, the pursuit of physical sin, of, of passions, which is fleshly, internal, the sinful desires, and lawless idolatry, putting something, anything above God in your life, including his good rules and commands for our lives. Hence the word lawless. But when you don't join them in such sins, it says they are surprised 
It says they malign you, which means they, they treat you, think of you evilly. But there are just as dangerous sins for us that the Gentiles don't participate in, but as Jerry Bridges once called them, respectable sins, that does not help in this area of hospitality and even feeds into our present somewhat post-Christian culture. In fact, we despise the idea of post-Christian culture when it crosses the lines of our values and morals as Christians and embrace its perks at the same time when they serve our own passions, which is mentioned in that verse, our own selfish ambitions that goes against a hospitable spirit, even if they're not the obvious sins described in verse 3. Sins like our failure to love the stranger, our selfishness with money, with time, and with our very own home, our backs turned against widows, orphans, prisoners, refugees. In fact, some that same attitude, mind, and spirit, those desires, the flesh in that way, those passions, signs of such sins. Of withholding love for a neighbor, it goes against, again, Christian witness, and it kills biblical hospitality. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now again, some of that is context now leading up to these two verses concerning hospitality. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as Connor had mentioned last week, Although hospitality is a specific God-given gift given to some in the church where it may come easier for them, there may be more fruit, it is still a command and call for every single Christian. And so breaking apart verse 8 and 9, as it says, verse 8, above all, keeping, keep, loving, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is one of the many one another passages we find in Scripture. And look how it is emphasized. Starting off with above all. That means that this takes priority above other things. Keep. This is assuming that you are already doing this. Above all, keep loving one another. Going into even our mission as a church and the great commanding, commandment, love God, love your neighbor. 
loving one another earnestly. That means genuinely, not having ulterior motives, not being fake, but actually caring about and loving other people and those within the church. Listen, we know, we see Jesus, I mean, he's all about God and people, right? I mean, he is God. You see that in a relationship with God is a trinity. He's constantly talking, pointing to, magnifying, glorifying God, but he's about people. He loves people. And therefore, our religion, our faith, our purpose in life, Christianity, is about God and people, just like Jesus is about that. That means that the body of Christ, not only Jesus, not only Christianity, but the church, the body of Christ, the household of God, our family represented here, is about the same things that Christianity and Jesus is about. God and people. And do you know what hospitality is about? God and people. You cannot be about Jesus and the church without being about people. I'm serious. I say that with a bit of apology because I know people are hard. I know people are messy. But I also know that we cannot get away from relationships. Because Jesus, Christianity, and the church is about God and people. And oh, how that can be beautifully sewn in with biblical hospitality. It's why a proper theology of the Mago Day, our last topical series that we went through sermon series-wise, is so important. And look what it says after earnestly, comma, since love covers a multitude of sins. That same love that we are to show our neighbors. It covers a multitude of sins. Now we know how this is true with Jesus in the gospel. But this shows us that as the body of Christ, prioritizing continual, genuine love for each other helps show and remind each other that Jesus' love covers our sins. How we do welcome and love the stranger, as Connor defined last week, will help point to a type of love that only Jesus can bring that covers a multitude of sins. Now look at verse 9 where this word pops up here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I read this verse, and I don't know why, but my mind goes to Chick-fil-A culture. You guys know the culture. Constantly, anyone, everyone that works there, can I have a spicy chicken sandwich combo? My pleasure, with a big old beaming smile. Can I have extra, I'm talking about extra, extra Chick-fil-A sauce? My pleasure. Hey, I said no pickles. Like, what, what, what are these pickles doing here? My pleasure, okay? I mean, you can go walk out of the bathroom saying, man, the toilets are clogged. I mean, like, it's a mess in there. They're going to be like, my pleasure, okay? I mean, they have a culture of hospitality that 
does not, it's ingrained with them. They, they, they say those two words at home, at school, with other friends. I remember this was the case with a good friend of uh, my wife and I, uh, Jessica. Um, he actually used to work at CPC uh, with the kids' ministry. And when we were in Bible college uh, together, he worked at Chick-fil-A for a long time. And he'd say it all the time. Again, it was a culture. Not an attitude of grumbling. And, and, and even those two words, he would just say it over and over all the time. I remember one particular time uh, in a group of our friends in, in, uh, at, at Bible college where he, he would say that with that kind of like, like zombie-like glisten in the eye, big smile, my pleasure, okay? But it was like a group of girls, like some of the girls he was kind of like, mm, hoping to maybe pursue and go on a date. But like, he'd be like, my pleasure, my pleasure. And it was creeping them out, okay? And I even had to pull them aside and say, hey, listen, I know this is like the hospitality culture of Chick-fil-A, but like, you're creeping them out when you keep on saying that. And so even it's ingrained in every part of their lives. An indication that hospitality becomes a part of the culture for the organization where its behaviors, its values, it transcends the confines of the job. It wasn't just a program. It wasn't just a department, but instead an attitude that works its way into everyday lives. And I do love how much of that culture shows that without grumbling. Again, something that was started as a Christian value, but now more known in a fast food restaurant. Yes, that did start with Christian values, but honestly, probably more than what is represented in the church these days. If I ask the average probably lost person, do you see hospitality without grumbling at Chick-fil-A compared to the church? I think they're going to choose the fast food restaurant over us at times because boy do we like to grumble it is hard to welcome strangers and love them because they're people and they're messy and they're sinful without grumbling but we're called commanded it as a part of that hospitality we're to show to live out in Romans 12 the apostle Paul goes over a list of what's been described as the marks of a true Christian, even. Verse 13 in Romans 12 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We are to meet the needs of the saints. We are to seek to show hospitality. Now I'm gonna go in reverse here before hitting the contribute to the needs of the saints to seek to show hospitality. We are to seek. We must seek to know our people and other people in a certain extent to welcome them, to host them. And that means we need to know people to show hospitality. It's hard to know a stranger, but that's part of the purpose of it. Welcoming, getting to know. What Andy Stanley often says do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. But you can't do that for everyone. So just do it for the one. And Connor said, biblical hospitality is loving and welcoming strangers. This week, I want to show how it is used, or the next few weeks, show how it's used within today, the church, and next week, the home. How that helps render those strangers into neighbors and then those neighbors as the potential 
family of God. And in order to be able to do that, we need to, as verse 13 starts and says, contribute to the needs of the saints and then seek to show hospitality. The needs of the saints, of course, is the church. So I want to share some points on how biblical hospitality is used within the church. From Romans 12, 13, in meeting the needs of the saints, but also showing hospitality to strangers and the lost. Some of these points are from me. Some of these points uh, are taken and extended from uh, a book uh, by the name, uh, the gospel uh, in the uh, gospel in house key. I forgot exactly the name. Rosaria Butterfield. Um, it's a book on hospitality. I think it's the house. The gospel comes with the house key. I think is the name of the book. I'll have that ready by next service. Sorry, you guys don't have it here. But here are some certain ways that biblical hospitality is used within the body of Christ, the church. Next week, we'll talk about how it is used within your very own homes and lives. But how do we do this as the church? First, in corporate worship. What we're doing right now, God uses hospitality to meet the needs of the saints, but then also to show hospitality to strangers and lost. Just us meeting together, setting everything aside for that day to physically come together and worship the Lord together. Christians need the Lord's day and corporate worship, not just because the Bible commands it and we were created for it, but because it is a great gift of grace for each and every person that comes in going through such temptations and spiritual warfare throughout the week coming and hearing from God's word, seeing God's people. Have you ever noticed that that day particularly or leading up to that day, how much Satan attacks? I mean, without the regular routine meetings and corporate worship, time with God and with God's people, all hearing the same unified word of God, instructed together, breaking it down and applying it later, it would be nearly impossible to actually honor the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Because the best way to remember anything is to do it collectively. That is part of the purpose and importance of corporate worship. And through hospitality, we can live in such a way to help enable others to do it as well. In fact, in Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Oh, I have the title right there. Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. She says this, quote unquote, We keep the Lord's day in this communal way by sharing the ordinary means of grace that God has given to us. The Lord's day is not family day or just us day. If you preserve this day in that way, you still glory from God and unwittingly cause others to stumble. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13? You are the way of escape. Living in community is not just pleasant. It is life-saving. It's why in his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer comments, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more extractive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, 
and the more disastrous is his isolation. Listen, the body meeting together, it is a gift from the Lord, a grace, as she had mentioned, to be able to be there, remind each other of our need for Christ the Savior. And how the church's hospitality helps in temptation and deep struggle with sin, I can't but help to think of the year that I ran so far from the Lord as a Christian that my own church and others around me were rightfully so treating me as an unbeliever. And as I ran so far away from the Lord, but still kept the routine of going to church, and each time I went to that church, I'd walk away saying, what am I doing? I need this. I need this. And although it took still a while for me to repent, for me to start walking in obedience with the Lord, each time that routine was a God-given, gracious reminder. I need Christ. I need that. That is different from the world that I'm living in. And I love it. Singing in corporate worship shows biblical hospitality in the church. There's hospitality in how we sing and through what we sing. How you sing and who you sing to can welcome strangers and guests. It sticks out counterculturally and warmly. It is rare, beautiful, and attractive. I'm not talking about like, you know, playing the top 40 radio to try to fit in with the culture and everybody else. I'm talking about songs that magnify Christ and having a body, small group, or large gathering singing it. Where else do you see that? Yes, going to a concert. Yes, getting together with friends. But when you see a group praising God, again, words and lyrics that are rooted in Scripture and reveals the gospel and people of all ages, not just the same people that you hang out with, your subculture, right? All the Swifties and all of your boy band fans and, and the country swooners, everybody that's just like you, that likes you, all singing together. But people that are radically different, that you have no common interest or hobbies or anything else with, but you're all unified together singing about Jesus. Do you know how appealing that is to a lost world? Although strange at first impression, like, Oh, because you're never in a place where people that can't sing will sing unless it's drowned out by like real loud speakers and nobody else can hear along. But they're doing it because they need it. Do you know how beautiful and welcoming that is to people that don't have that, especially if they start paying attention to the lyrics of what's being sung? In fact, a testimony used by Rosaria Butterfield in her book was how much God used the singing of Psalms and a church that was known for its hospitality in New York to lead several different people to be open to the gospel and some receive Christ. When they walked into homes, community groups, and they would sing the Psalms and how that was a people that were hostile to Christianity, but noticed and saw in the Psalms, which was written as poetry and songs originally, like, wow. What David and these other are saying is what I feel as an unbeliever. Wow, this is kind of messy, what they're saying and singing about. Can you say this to God? Yes, you can sing it. And then, then being more open and researching and having questions about Christianity. Singing 
can be used as hospitality for us and the world. Remember, it's in the church and biblical hospitality where we are a front door and first impression for visiting guests. For most, they will start making their initial conclusions of the church based off that not only welcome, but how people treat them. And listen, there's even a difference of that when it comes to somebody that is maybe seeking out as a Christian, seeking out God's family for them to be in community with and on mission with. But it goes a long way when it comes to somebody that does not know Christ. That actually, that, that scares me as a pastor and shepherd, thinking about the accountability and judgment, potentially, of how we treat somebody that does not know Christ. How welcoming we are. It leads to ongoing community and discipleship. I won't go too much into this. Connor did a great job last week talking a little bit about this. But it's used for people because it's different than the world's hospitality. It's different than Disney World, which we're not going to compare to. It's different than the world when they welcome because it's rooted out of love for Christ and to help people take steps in what they need with ongoing community and what we are about as a church, discipleship. Making disciples who make disciples rooted in the Great Commission. They get plugged into what they need and what we are created for in biblical community and those steps of discipleship. And last of all, this one is a little, maybe seems out of place, but oh, how I've seen how it's true, not only in a family, but also in the church. Oh, what an opportunity to show the love of God, the need for community when you can show biblical hospitality at one's deathbed. At a time and season, whether it's a believer or somebody that's lost, how the church reacts and responds goes such a long way when somebody is going through a season of suffering and a stop on this earth. Oh, what a witness when it comes to welcome and hospitality that we can be as a church in those seasons, both for the, the believer and the lost. And remember, as Romans 12, 13 says, we must seek to show this type of hospitality. Yes, it should be fruit as a Christian. That's command. But it doesn't make it easy, except for the ones that are gifted in it or the extreme extroverts we are to seek it still. Seek to get to know people and seek to welcome them in this way and to meet the needs of the saints, as 1213 says. And how we welcome and treat each other as well, of course, is how we treat strangers. Last verse, Hebrews 13, 1 through 2. This is probably the most popular New Testament verse on this subject. Hebrews 13, 1 through 2 says, let brotherly love continue. Do you see that's how that's so intertwined within the church? I know when I think of hospitality, I almost always think of the stranger. But every one of these passages that mention hospitality, do you see the verse before? It's talking about how we treat each other as well. I mean, there is a reason why Jesus himself had said, 
They're going to see our love by how we treat each other. That's the first start. But then as that overflows, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The continue in this verse, verse 1, like the keep in 1 Peter 4, 8, it shows that our love and hospitality for each other in the church is ongoing and even when looking different in seasons shouldn't stop. And then verse 2 tells us we also shouldn't stop or neglect showing that hospitality to strangers, people that we do not know. And this shows why our hospitality is so different than the world because there is a spiritual purpose behind it. When you are unknowingly potentially entertaining angels by doing it, there is a supernatural, life-changing, greater spiritual purpose and use in that hospitality and welcoming strangers. It's not, this is what we do, but instead, this is who we are as new creation. Hospitality should be a part of our church identity. And know this, Christians have had a strong, powerful history of welcoming and helping the stranger. In fact, it's Christians that at one time were at the forefront of welcoming and helping neighbors and strangers. And everything from starting education, building schools and hospitals, even showing up, and you saw this in this last month, during natural disasters. I mean, I saw I saw a couple, at least, secular newspaper accounts about churches that rallied to help those in need in western Kentucky to offer water, food, shelter, medicine. We know this and see this from mission trips, short-term, and support long-term that we've went on. And I can't but help to ask, Will our church have that same history? Will we have that same history? Some examples of hospitality from within our church would be everything from what I've seen of people in our church when somebody just visited, uh, inviting them uh, to lunch right after service and how much that meant to them, to even this past week where this big snowstorm that we had and there was a, a family that have a lot of kids that were stuck in Lexington, but they live in Richmond and they could not because 71 was just a hot mess. Um, and they had six different families that offered to host them and stay over that night. Well, we continue to have a history a witness and testimony of such hospitality. To keep or grow in that identity and that culture, we must do a few things. One, a church identity and culture hospitality, it will care about things that neighbors care about. It will care about things that neighbors care about. If we want to continue to have that, a history of it, a witness of it, allow God to use that, we must care about the things that neighbors care about. Two, we must work from strengths and interests. We must work from our strengths, but then also our interests. 
And so you may have where it comes to like hosting and welcoming people into your house. Uh, you you uh, and your spouse or you and uh, your roommates may not be the greatest of cooks. So don't associate the food part as much. And just be a good host in other things and interests. Some may be amazing host in that way. But work from your strengths and your interests. Three, prioritize the biblical most vulnerable and the least of these. We talked a lot about that in our series in Imago Day. You can go back to be able to listen to some of those messages with that. But prioritize those who are in, described in the scripture, those who are the most vulnerable, those who are the least of these. Those who I'd mentioned earlier when it comes to the orphans, the widows, those that are without a home, forced to be without a home, the refugees. Fourth, we must remember, because we don't look at this as a command. Let's just be honest. We are to embrace this command like all other commands by God. That means we must change our perspective and view of it, our attitude. But this is only for the, the extroverts. This is only for the one who is gifted with that. We don't look at evangelism like that, right? That's another spiritual gift. There are those who have the gift of evangelism that you see more fruit. It's a little bit easier. But does that mean it's only those with the gift of evangelism that evangelize? No. We are called and commanded and commissioned and sent out to share the gospel with those in need. We don't look at hospitality as that. No, those are the extroverts, okay? They may not even have the gift, but if they're extroverted, they do that. No. It is a command to all of us. It may look different from those who are gifted and personality match up, but we're all commanded. Last couple things I want to end on is when doing this, and again, we're going to talk about what that looks like actually in our homes next week, but when as a church we embrace this and start living this out, there's going to be spiritual warfare. You realize this, right? Satan's going to do everything he can. When you're welcoming and loving strangers and steps of helping those strangers become neighbors and then those neighbors embrace Christ to become the household and family of God, Satan's going to do everything he can to attack. And so some spiritual warfare warnings and reminders with this. One is this. Do not believe the lie from Satan that God did not create you to be hospitable. And it goes into embracing the command like all other commands by God, but we are to not fall into the lie and believe it, that God did not create you to do this and be this. I, I want to read a, a kind of an extended quote from Rosaria Butterfield's book when it comes to this, because I know God greatly used hospitality for her to come to know Christ. Uh, she has another book sharing her testimony. She used to be a former professor at Syracuse University uh, over LGBTQ queer theory. Um, she was a, a, um, a lesbian in, in long, long relationship with uh, uh, another woman, and again was a professor that taught such ideology at Syracuse University. And uh, she has a book on her testimony on how a, uh, an old, older Presbyterian couple welcomed her into their home for years, and that is what God used for her to be open and then later embrace the gospel and be changed by it. Now, again, she has this book on now how she has practiced hospitality since God has used that. 
And as I'm reading it and hearing the testimonies and everything, I'm like, oh, goodness, like nobody can compare to this person, right? And then she says this in her book. She says this, quote, unquote, my Myers-Briggs score is INTJ. I'm sorry, INTJ. Jai, that's not even a letter. <laughs> my Myers-Briggs score is INTJ. I also have a light sensitivity issue that has grown worse during the last five years. As public speaking puts me under stage lights, I'm a classic introvert. This means that I draw an inner charge in refueling from being alone, preferably with a book, a cap, and some knitting. I know how to engage people, but being with people, it's completely draining. Therefore, I get up earlier than everyone else in my home because I need my alone time. I putter in the kitchen, I read my Bible, I write my books, I fold laundry, and I renew my energy and focus by spending that alone time well. But we introverts miss out on great blessings when we excuse ourselves from practicing hospitality just because it exhausts us. I often find people exhausting. But over the years, I've learned how to pace myself, how to prepare for the private time necessary to recharge, and how to grow in discomfort. Knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from gospel ministry. It means that you just need to prepare for it differently than how others might. Again, don't believe the lie that you can't do that. Number two, believing you're too busy to practice hospitality. Let's be honest. It's going to be one of the top reasons why we don't do this because we're too busy for it. And again, that's spiritual warfare. That could be priorities out of whack. That could be a season. But if it's beyond a season that you can't practice and do this, then you maybe need to reprioritize. It's important to not constantly be in a hurry and to be present in hospitality as the church. And when you get better at this, when we get better at this, let me tell you what a difference it makes when you start being present with people and being hospitable to them. Because listen, their lives are busy and chaotic. So imagine what it's like when you create that one unhurried moment in their week. You put down your phone, you look at them in the eye, and you welcome and embrace them. Oh, what a difference in chaotic and busy lives, and people that feel so ignored and unvalued when someone slows down enough to look them in the eye, listen, and care. Oh, what a difference it makes. The danger of counterfeit hospitality. Something is counterfeit when it imitates with the intent to deceive, using it for other purposes besides Jesus. And yes, we know that the barista at Starbucks or hosting an Airbnb is often counterfeit in hospitality, but that's not sinful, right? But as known Christians who use hospitality for financial or other means within the church, besides spiritual purposes, well, you can see how that can get a little dicey, right? whether it be strings attached or networking beyond steps for community and discipleship. Again, it's not always sinful, but Christians need to be careful with this. In fact, I worked with a church in Louisville, Kentucky uh, a little over a decade ago, 
where they would not allow any staff or staff wives work with multi-level marketing. And I remember at first thinking that that was kind of weird, but then later on, it made sense. What happens when those represented within the church, they're constantly connecting with people for purposes of steps for with Jesus, when are the staff, okay? The staff and staff wives, when they're connecting and friendliness turns into, hey, do you want to buy Tupperware or essential oils? Instead of, hey, do you want to meet Jesus or meet these other Christians? And again, that's not sinful. I'm not coming down. I thought it was really weird at first, but we have to be careful with, like I said, counterfeit hospitality, where people are thinking as a representative, because you're an ambassador for Christ. You know that, right? So as a representative of Jesus Christ and a witness, if that welcoming, hospitable attitude nature turns into selling them something or working for them, instead of, I am like this because of my God and how he welcomed me into his family. We just have to be careful. And then last this is very important, especially if we grow in this, is comparing yourself with others or making hospitality into an idol. Oh, how we, as we grow in this and become a church and a culture and an identity of this more, oh, how we must be careful to not turn it into an idol for those who are good and gifted within it or to compare yourself with others in it. This is especially tempting for others. You are not going to be like somebody else in our church, again, that is gifted with it. And you don't have to be. You need to be obedient to what that looks like in your unique season in life. And you're not to compare. And when it's a gift, and when you are good, you must constantly ask yourself, am I now finding my identity in this? Are you going beyond your means of provision and materials to provide for it? Oh, well, we're having people all the time over. So now we got to get the $1 million home to host people over. Are you now finding identity and again, going beyond your means of provision and materials? Are you tempted to gloat in it? There's spiritual warfare involved. But imagine what our church, surrounding neighborhoods, city in this world would look like when we obey this command and practice it. You know, we love the miraculous stories of Jesus and the Gospels. From the feeding of the 5,000, that was really most likely 15, 20,000, if you include women and kids. We love the divine healings his contagious grace to the least of these. And yet we miss the most obvious things about those true stories. That we are called and meant to replicate those things in ordinary, non-miraculous ways. And that happens in biblical hospitality. When needs are met, Connections are made for future healings to happen and grace is given, radical grace that is ever so contagious. Life change happens all in the name of biblical hospitality. So what are we to do with this? I'm going to go very quickly with this. 
What are we to do with this? Here are the challenges and goals for us to become more hospitable as a church. Again, we're going to talk about your own lives, your own homes next week. But what are we to do for this as a church? Quick couple things. One, come prepared to worship and welcome on Sunday morning. Listen, we have a welcome team, but guess what? Every one of you are on a welcome team. You may not be the one that is scheduled and, and where Tim Shepard will contact you and say, hey, you're serving this week and, and you're staying the extra 15 minutes in the beginning before coming in here, but every single one of us are on the welcome team. Come prepared to worship and welcome on Sunday morning. Two, a goal would be introduce yourself to two individuals or families that you don't know every month. As we get a pretty regular rotation of people that come visiting or people that have been here maybe for months, maybe even years, um, that maybe you don't know, just introduce yourself to them and make it a goal of like two, two people, two families that you just introduce yourself to. Not even saying extra step of coffee, having them over, anything like that, but just get to know the body of Christ. Now that is the disadvantage of growth in multi-service and campuses. And so take advantage of it when you can to meet people. Three, connect with a stranger. Make it a goal. Two, go out of your comfort zone. Strike up a conversation knowing we are to welcome and love strangers, hoping it turns into neighbors, turn into the household of God, the family of God. Connect with the stranger. And listen, there's a big difference with this in Lexington, Kentucky, than New York City. It's much easier here, okay? You don't have an excuse. Even in New York City, there are Christians. Gotta do it. So connect with a stranger. To a certain extent, throw those stereotypes out the window. Four, notice the needs around you. If someone that is contributing to the needs of the saints, and then also, as Romans 12, 13 says, but then also seeking to show that hospitality to the stranger. We must notice and see the needs around us. Fifth, some of you, as extroverts or gifted in this, can be able to serve on our welcome team. And listen, there's a need there. I've shared this before. Out of any area in our church of service teams, that was the one that took the biggest hit for us as a church um, coming out of the pandemic. When we didn't meet for that time, when we changed locations, came into this building, it was that team that took the hardest hit where we lost a lot more than even half from that team over that time. By God's grace, kids' ministry, students, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, band, and, and everything else, uh, by God's grace, we, we stayed consistent. We had most coming back. We got and gained. But that was the one that took the largest hit. And so as we're going through this and talking about this, and if you are one that's more gifted, if you are one who is extrovert, Jacob Gobby and I joke all the time because I remember when he first kind of started serving at our church like eight years ago, he was initially placed because there was such a need there. He was initially placed there, and he was just like, I am the worst person at this, okay? So if you're better, join us. Last of all, Pray about how your home, and this is going to be for next week. We're going to talk about not just in home, but from fostering to adopting to lifestyle to even not the home, but again, your subcultures. That could be a fitness, the areas and interest, how God can use your life and your home for hospitality. So you need to pray over this week to be open with that because we're getting personal now, right? It's not just within the church. Oh, I can greet somebody at the church. Oh, 
opening up my home? My apartment? Oh, like looking at my gym more than the place I just work out and those people that I'm like, CrossFit, yeah. It's gonna get a little personal. So I need you to pray. I need you to talk to the Lord because Satan's gonna attack before next week and we talk about this. Pray about your home, your life, and how it can be used in hospitality. And I end with this. We are blind if we don't realize that this is fruit from the Lord welcoming us into his home. That's why we do this. Because God, out of his great grace and his love for us, when we were strangers, the scripture even describes it as enemies. He embraced us by sending his son to take our place with the sins and the consequences, spiritual, physical death, and him taking that upon himself on the cross, showing and proving that he was God, the Messiah, that was proclaimed and prophesied about and doing that very thing. And three days later, rising from the dead, showing he has all power, authority over sin, over its consequence to defeat it. And then to welcome you when we repent of our sin and have saving faith in Christ into his home. And we can't but help to welcome others by sharing that message but first being a witness and doing it. In tenderness, he sought us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for welcoming us and making us family. Oh, what a witness. What life change is involved when those who feel that they are weary and sick with sin. They are being ignored and undervalued to be welcomed first as neighbors that are loved and then family that is embraced and taken care of and provided for and protected. And then as the Great Commission goes, are sent out to do the same with others. Jesus, I pray that you do that beautiful work with us and as your church. And even as we sing this song, which, as we learned today, is a form of hospitality, Lord, that we will come to your altar right now. That we will make whatever needed changes, repent of certain things, embrace certain things, have faith in certain things, so that we can welcome and love the stranger to turn them into a neighbor prayerfully, hopefully, become the family of God. That we make those decisions, commitments to you as we sing and as we pray right now. Coming to your altar. We thank you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus.